This is Limitless Possibility. I'm Luke Olivier Meublet. And I'm Yannick Magnin. And what's our topic for this week, Yannick? Failure states and mental agony. Ooh, but before we start, we have some follow-up. And I'll, for this week, I'll start. I only have one item, and it's follow-up directly related to my last episode. So I do hope that some of our car fans that were asking us to do another car episode enjoyed this one about electric cars. Uh, I'm considering having maybe in 2021 more recurring car topics. We'll see. Um, I really about... liked the last episode. I thought it was very good. <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed it too. I think it's been a while since we talked about cars. So uh, I don't want to kind of do a bit what we've done in 2020 where we talk a lot about video games. Not that I dislike talking about video games, but I don't want it to be too recurring. So I, I kind of want to keep, keep it as a special topic near and dear to both of our hearts. But I need to start this episode with already a bad news. Um, I was not read. Okay, you will you'll see because I was hoping that you know what in the next few months, throughout 2021, like every couple of episodes, I'll be like, hey, remember when we started the year? We talked about this vehicle, and it's finally out. So we released the episode on the 14th, and on the 15th, <laughs> I've seen in all of my like news, they like. Mercedes-Benz officially announced that they did not decide they decided not to sell the EQC in North America. Oh. So it includes both <laughs> Canada and US. But the weird part is they'll still sell some of EQ vehicle in the near future in North America. So that's kind of weird because the EQC as you recall was kind of the the mid like the compact slash mid-size suv that is really invoked these days it's their equivalent of glc which is a really popular suv in the lineup so not bringing it here which it if you recall also it was one of the EPs, one of the uh excuse me the vehicle that is already out in the eu uh and and rest of the world is a bit strange i was uh i came into this news by what like just random ink scrolling into uh one of my favorite car quebec car journalists and he was like i've attended the press lineup like nearly two years ago and now they announced that they won't do it in canada kind of a strange decision was what they were saying so what will happen is the next ev that uh mercedes-benz will sell here is the eqs which is the equivalent of, if I recall correctly, it's the equivalent to their S-Class. Yeah, yeah, it's the equivalent of their S-Class. So it's kind of quite weird. Like it's a big luxury sedan uh, that for sure is obviously quite nice. Uh, more or less like the S-Class, surprisingly enough, is the equivalent of the Model S. If you can think about it, it's the big sedan. So they're going to start with a big sedan in the place where SUV sells the most. So, strange decision by Mercedes-Benz, uh, but it, I'm also a bit disappointed that the first, the first follow-up item is about a car that, <laughs> for now, won't be released here. So, strange decision by Mercedes-Benz. Good. That's it for me. Okay. Uh, f- first of all, reminder, uh, we're doing Zelda Link to the Past episode in April. Uh, I did not realize this when we originally chose the game but uh it's the 35th anniversary of zelda this year so i guess we're gonna knock two birds with one stone uh that's going to be episode 159 on april 25th i have hit some minor technical issues with my playthrough and i'm gonna have to start over from scratch on a different system which sucks uh but uh i think we've both started playing and uh, yes 
progressing slowly through the game. So uh, if you're interested, definitely play it in time for that episode. And according to your progress on your baccalaureate, I think I've surpassed you already. Uh, not making it a competition here, but just saying that... Uh, well, yeah, I'm going to have to start all over anyway. So uh, yeah, yeah, so you should really catch up. Because, I am waiting uh, on parts right now. So <laughs> I know, I know, I know. So hopefully you'll be able to receive them in time and catch up uh, and have enough time to like not rush your uh, playthrough of the game. But again, I'm slowly but surely uh, going through that. So it's interesting, but I'm already eager to talk about it. Uh, next up, I have some follow-up on Xbox Series consoles. Uh, there was an update to the backward compatibility mode on Xbox Series X and Series S consoles called FPS Boost that was released. Uh, and I'm mostly mentioning this because, well, first of all, it's actually pretty interesting that they have managed to patch FPS Boost modes into Xbox One games on the Xbox hmm. Series consoles using Direct3D injectors. So effectively, they're doing something very similar to what I used to do in the jailbreak scene, which is they effectively make a tweak for xbox one games that forces the frame rate to 60 frames per second which is really cool uh it seems to be a generalizable technique that can apply to many different kinds of games except sometimes depending on how the games are programmed it may create glitches uh, which is why they have to enable it on a set list of games at a time Uh, but i believe the first five games uh, which were a very peculiar selection of Xbox One releases, uh, went live last week. And there's a great Digital Foundry video that I'm going to put in the show notes that you can go watch if you're interested in reading about that. It is a fascinating approach to this, and I kind of wish they would do it for uh, PS5 as well, but, well, that's not really how Sony goes, so I don't think it'll happen. Um, next up, we also made fun of uh, Microsoft a couple of weeks ago on follow-up uh, because .NET 5 was released and it did not have support for UI applications on ARM64. Uh, however, mm-hmm. .NET 6 Preview 1 was released this week and it brings support for Windows Forms and WPF UI application support for Windows on ARM64. Uh, also, Apple Silicon support, which is interesting. Um So this is interesting because Windows Forms and WPF, like, yes, you've supported two UI frameworks, but these are two outdated UI frameworks. So I'm not quite sure why they chose those ones, but I guess it's better than nothing. Uh, So uh, you can start making UI applications for ARM64 Windows uh, if you are a Windows developer. And uh, maybe we'll get more news later on of other UI frameworks that are less abandoned, uh, that are supported <laughs> on ARM64. Right. I guess this is also clear feedback to your uh, your uh, long... In- no, it was last year, yeah? Something like that when we did you did the episode about Windows and backward compatibility and all that fun stuff. Showing that they bring those older framework first to ARM64 is typical Microsoft. Yeah, it's real weird. You'd think like on ARM64, they would deprecate these things that are useless. No, they're going to showcase it first on ARM64. It's so fucking weird. Uh, It's completely backwards from how Apple works. Um, What's actually interesting uh, is that uh, if you think about .NET versioning for a little bit, Mm -hmm. .NET 4 has been around since like early 2010s. Yeah, .NET yeah. 5 came out like not even three months ago, I think. And now we're already seeing previews of .NET 6. So I think like the .NET iteration cycle is going to be much, much faster now than uh, in the past, which might be a good thing. I'm not sure. Uh, we'll have to see. Um, but at least there's quick progress to actually get more stuff on ARM64 because that is maybe going to be a big part of Windows in the future. I guess we'll see. 
right before we recorded this, there was a Sony event where um, a bunch of garbage games and also Final Fantasy VII Remake, the definitive edition on PS5, was shown. Um, but we're not going to talk about that. Instead, we're going to talk about PSVR uh, because PlayStation remembered PSVR exists and they announced that they're going to be releasing a next generation VR system in 2021. And this brings me to a, kind of a recurring theme on this show, which is Sony making weird, ambiguous statements that are not <laughs> clear at all and then shooting themselves in the foot later. Um, so if you may recall, uh, way before they even showed the PS5, they had said, PSVR is going to be forward compatible with PS5. And then we sort of forgot about PSVR for like a year and a half. And now they've remembered PSVR exists and they're saying they're making new hardware for it, which is like, does that mean PSVR only works in backward compatibility? Does it mean that PS5 VR games are only going to work on the new system or on both? They are not saying anything about that at all. And it reminds me a lot of the bullshit they did for backward compatibility on the PS5. The bullshit they did when remote play was announced and they didn't say if you could play <laughs> digital purchased games on it or not. It's just uh, not remote play, sorry, PlayStation Now. Um, but this is a recurring Sony theme and it pisses me off that they're doing it again with VR and I wish they would really stop. Oh, I remember our talk about our discussion in the podcast about backward compatibility for the PS5, and you were so furious about the lack of commitment or messaging from Sony. Uh, it, it turned out their story was very good. It's just they didn't yes. say anything about it until a month before the console came out. So uh, people like you were assuming the worst, and they not deservedly uh, so. But still, like it's fair to uh, to think that they might do not so good and they might backtrack this statement about forward compatibility for the PSVR. So I guess we'll see later this year. Yeah, I guess. So uh, stay tuned. <laughs> but um, yeah. I, I guess something's going to happen with VR this year. Cool. In, in the meantime, it allows us to create great content for this podcast. I, I guess. So that's it for follow-up for me this week. Now we can get into uh, the episodes. I'm going to get my drink out. Damn. <laughs> oh, that's one of those episodes. Yes. Okay, so I struggled with coming up with a concise explanation of exactly what this episode is about. A couple of weeks ago, I tried explaining it to Carivier, and his concise explanation of it was dealing with shipping less than ideal solutions. Um, that's true. But for a variety of reasons, I don't think that's quite right either. Um, 2020 was a shitty year for everyone. Like, I don't think this is particularly newsworthy or anything. But in my case, I already knew way before 2020 started that 2020 was going to be a shitty year for me. And in this particular case, it's because we shipped a multi-year project with no confidence that it was actually going to do what it was supposed to do. <laughs> and this entire episode is talking about my incredibly rough work year in 2020 and kind of a long rant about what went wrong with a project that I'm intimately involved with and the impact it has had on my mental health. Uh, so it's not quite what you were probably thinking you were going to do uh, this week. Uh, but that's what we're doing. So <laughs> the project in question is a vacation booking system for a large unionized factory in the region. 
Uh, development on this project started in July of 2018. Uh, originally, I wasn't supposed to be lead developer. I was supposed to be just there as backup. But it turns out that the person that was the lead developer originally could not wrap their, hand, their head around the project and sort of gave up. And so I took over. Uh, and the project itself launched in February of 2020. Uh, what's interesting about this project is it was started during union disputes, which means that it was constantly in the local news. And this meant that wherever I went, there was the project haunting me on every newspaper cover and every magazine and everything. It was just there and couldn't get away from it. And because these disputes were ongoing, fundamentally, the legal documents that uh, where the policies we were implementing were written were constantly in flux during development, which is fucking stupid. Um, so that's about as far as I'm going to go into the actual details of what the project actually is. Um, I want to be abundantly clear here that I'm not anti-union, but the union's involvement does greatly increase the complexity of what we were asked to implement, and that made my work more frustrating as a result. And if you ever want to understand what my pain was like, go read a large company's collective agreement and try to draw a flowchart of that that doesn't make you angry. It's impossible. It's actually impossible. Um, the yearly vacation booking system that we had to do is a system that was more or less described in the contracts of the employees in the agreement as a rough flow of how events should roll out and a large list of policies and exceptions. And as someone who thinks a lot about systems design, from that perspective, it is act actually incredibly appalling because it was never really designed as a system or a proper workflow to begin with. Lawyers don't really think about edge cases like programmers do. So unfortunately, what that meant is that a lot of the times I would read something and I would be like, well, this is un undefined behavior. This is undefined behavior. This is undefined behavior. And I would point out like a combination of policies that interact in a way that is mathematically impossible to resolve. And the lawyers would just kind of shrug at me and I would have to figure out what the fuck I was supposed to do with that. Um, so what I'm getting at with this large paren that I'm opening here is that factory employees have a lot to gain by having a union fight for them. But the more ridiculous and narrow these policies and exceptions become, the more of a burden they become to the people who are trying to implement this as a computer system. And that is what I am upset about, not the fact that there is a union. One more thing that has recently become a contributor to my stress levels that is related to this is once the system is in production, if there is a bug that allows an employee to take more vacation time than they were supposed to, and the employee notices they are going to go to the union and that will force the HR department to honor what was incorrectly allowed while the bug was live. This means that major bugs can have significant costs to our client and they put a tremendous amount of pressure on us to not fuck things up. So I guess we better not fuck things up. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure that's what happened, right? Well, first, I should probably answer the question, which is why did we have zero confidence that the project was doing what it was supposed to do before launch? I mean, we'd been working on it for a year and a half by then. 
So we should have some idea, right? or at least you'd think we'd have some idea. So first of all, I should define we as the developers, because everyone else in this chain is absolutely hopeless. Management was in denial that there was anything wrong with this project. The client is clueless for reasons that will become evident soon. Um, the developers always had a feeling that it was going to be a shit show. And the reason for this is that humans are not good at applying systems that are this complex. And the reason is it's too big to conceptualize in your head at once. And HR sort of recognized that. And they took some shortcuts and generalized some things to make things easier to apply in practice. Now, this is not the policy as written. It's the policy as applied. This actually led to a bunch of problems and inconsistencies, and part of what digitizing the system was supposed to do was to actually properly apply the rules instead of applying these generalizations that eventually had to be corrected later. So the problem is that these collective agreements and legal documents that we have to peruse list a bunch of policies, but they don't contain any information about how to apply these policies in an actionable way. So what we have to rely on for that is we have to go ask our contacts in HR to explain how the system works to us. But they never actually apply the system correctly. They don't know what the real policies are anymore or how they were meant to be applied because they were never being applied correctly. So we're stuck in this really shitty situation of asking them questions and then listening to their answer and wondering well, is this about the real policies or is this about your understanding of how the policies work from years of applying generalizations? And more often than not, they were thinking of their generalizations and we were bitten in the ass later during development because these generalizations proved to be false because they were false because we knew they were false. And that means like development completely lost trust in anything the client said because we fundamentally could not rely on it and we had this long laundry list of all of the times that they told us, no, this will never happen. And it <laughs> happens for like 15% of people in the factory. And you're like, well, that's cool. Except if you tell us never and we design the architecture of the system in a way that doesn't accommodate that, or we design a database table in a way that this cannot be handled. Now we have to throw away part of the thing and adapt. And to some degree, it's easier to do that before we're in production. But as, as we'll see, sometimes we only find out when it's in production. So the moment when we went from just being worried to knowing it was going to be an absolute shit show is November of 2019. The launch of the project was always planned to be February 1st, 2020, because that is the date like February 1st is a date that is written in the collective agreement. It's non-negotiable. It has to be February 1st. In November, well, actually in October of 2019, uh, we were finalizing the software and everything so that we could launch in time for the thing. But there was one big question that was left for us to answer, which is, does our math behave as intended? We had no idea up until this point if our math was actually good. So clients agreed to validate the math in the app in October while I was out in Japan. And when I would return from Japan, we'd have a meeting and we'd talk about the results. So I get back from Japan, we get into the meeting, and within 30 minutes, it's clear that something went horribly wrong. They spent 30 minutes talking about UI changes, which is not related to the math or formula validity at all. They also signed off on the UI back in May. 
So I'm not sure why they were talking about UI changes. I mean, we can do UI changes because they're relatively easy to fix, but that's not what the scope of the meeting was supposed to be. And when 30 minutes into the meeting, nobody said anything about the math, I sort of lost my shit. And I started saying, like, you're not prioritizing the right stuff. And ultimately, like, we got zero math testing. What they considered to be testing is we went to the form, we clicked on the buttons in the form, we pressed the submit button, it did not crash, therefore it works. When that is not at all what we were asking them to test, we were asking them to check if the numbers added up to the correct things. And a lot of this is more understandable in retrospect. What we eventually found out is our clients do not know how to validate the math on their own. And that's a big problem. What we eventually found out later is they're pretty quick to spot the math issues when everything is using real data in production. And I figured out why. It's when they're in production, they have two screens. And on the left screen, they have our app. And on the right screen, they have their timekeeping software, which is called Kronos. And Kronos, because it's hooked up to the pay system and everything, it has all of the complex rules already programmed into it. So they don't have to do the math themselves to identify inconsistencies in production. They just look over their other screen, and if the numbers don't match, they send us an email. They can't do that when we're in the staging environment. Uh, for reasons I do not understand, they don't have access to the staging Kronos environment, so they can't actually simulate that while we're in staging. And even if we try to wire things up so that they can see uh, production Kronos data as a read-only state in our app, uh, in order to see if the numbers match and stuff, they would need to input data into production chronos to see if the math balances out. And they don't want to do that because it's hooked up to the real paychecks and everything. So it's understandable that they don't want to do it. But what that means is when we're on staging, they need to resort on their own understanding of how their system works. But it's all built on incorrect overgeneralizations. So Ultimately, they're just as clueless as we are as to how the math works, which is not good if you're asking for someone to validate that the math is good in your project. Testing, especially like testing where we rely on others user, uh, other users to tell us if something is correct or wrong, is out of the question. I also want to bring up in this section, I originally wanted to use automated testing for this project. Uh, when I saw the the scope of this project and the complexity of this project, I immediately knew that automated testing could save us a ton of headaches in terms of accidentally publishing regressions because everything is interconnected in stupid ways uh, and the flow of things is incredibly complicated and unfortunately we are not at the liberty to change it from this complicated mess because it's written in a legally binding document. There is one part of the application that uses automated testing, and that is uh, our calendar control, which is not just a calendar control. It is literally like the entire form, basically, uh, that we use on the client side is completely tested. The calendar is, has this configuration object you can pass to it, which enables and disables various constraints on uh, depending on basically what flow the employee is using, because depending on what your job description is you're in like one of eight different flows that depends on your section and a bunch of other factors and that impacts which accrual pools you're allowed to use and uh which dates you're allowed to take and if they have to be consecutive or not and if you can use this combination of accrual pools together and a bunch of other bullshit and luckily like 
these constraints can turn out to be really stupid and really complex, but they were the least ambiguous things written in the entire collective agreement. So they were actually the easiest things to program and the easiest things to test. And we used the combination of riot.js, which is a uh, functional reactive UI framework, and Redux as a data store uh, to make everything purely functional. And it facilitated testing greatly. And actually, it was a fantastic experience. I would do this again for a project of this complexity. Uh, every time I think about how buggy this would be if we did it with jQuery, I kind of panic inside. Uh, so I'm really happy that we use this. And from a technical point of view, this is the showcase of the project. It is the coolest thing we've done uh, in this entire project. Uh, we were told that someone from the union was actually, quote, playing our control. Uh, they were trying to abuse it and trying to break the constraints, and they were surprised to find that they were unable to break a single one. So shout out to our one reliable tester in the entire factory. But aside from that, nothing has any automated tests in place. And I think actually that would have bitten us in the ass if we actually did it. Uh, I think if we had actually tried to test the rest of the application, this project would be used as an example by my boss against using automated testing because it's real hard to test things that you don't have good rules for and good test cases for, and nobody was able to give us any reliable test cases for anything. And that means we would be writing tests based on our understanding of how it would work, and we would be scrapping them every five minutes because the specs are always changing because there is no spec because we're guessing it as we're going along, which is a fucking shit show. So that's kind of the state, the mental state that myself and my uh, co-developer on the project were in going into launch. Does that sound like fun? Not at all. And I recall our multiple post-podcast discussion or just chat and yeah, to be honest though, I think you were still like giving context. I think you've gave uh, a fair assessment of our previous discussion without going into too much detail so on that at that front uh, kudos <laughs> yeah it, it, it's been hard uh, i've had to self-censor a few things but yeah <laughs> it's yeah. It, it's kind of a mess so now i want to get into sort of what happened going into launch so in january of 2020 i find out that my co-developer on the project is leaving in the spring which means I'm going to be the only one left on this project who has any idea how any of this shit works. Um, so that sucked, and that kind of sealed my fate that basically all future development on this project is doomed to be done by me. Because so far, nobody else has been assigned on this project because nobody wants to learn all this bullshit, probably. I don't know. But yeah, so my my co-developer basically stopped working on this project because it was like, well, I don't want you to develop new functionality and then be the one with that knowledge when you're going away in a couple months. Uh, it turns out that he's still working for us just remotely from Montreal because he was moving to Montreal. Uh, he's working for us remotely from Montreal right now. So he's still around, um, but he hasn't worked on the project since... January of 2020, which means I'm basically the only developer left on this. Um, leading up to launch, we had a feature checklist. Everything on it was checked. Uh, the features that were on that checklist were reliable and did not crash. The UI and the workflow was satisfactory to the client's requirements. The constraint rules that I discussed in the calendar were working great and were fully tested. And by the way, like just to tell you how much of a success that those rules and those tests were, 
those files have not changed since launch. They are rock solid, and I, I love it. it. It's a I mean, like since we stopped with the idea of automatically uh, automated testing for the rest of the application. Like it, it actually looks good on paper because I can be like, look at this component that has not changed in a year because it works perfectly. And I can be like, this is a good example of automated testing instead of this is the shit show of automated testing it would have been if we had done the entire project. <laughs> um, so as much as I would have loved to do the whole project, like I think we we actually ended up winning in this case. Um, but the problem remains that we were going into production where all of the math determining how many hours an employee could use could be very, very, very wrong. And our client was unequipped to validate any of it. So it, when we had that meeting and we said, like, this is the math, please test it. They were never actually able to give us an actual good answer if it was good or not. So it went into production like that, which is terrible. Like, I I, I know it's terrible. That's why I'm pissed off. Um, but that's how it went to, into production. And then the day before launch, our primary contact in the HR department resigned. She didn't want to be stuck dealing with this shit show. I fully understand. Um, it was kind of partially her fault, to be honest. But hey, good job piecing out at the perfect moment, I guess. Your name isn't going to be tarnished with this bullshit. So as a developer... Uh, for however many years it's been since I've started doing development professionally, I guess I technically started in like 2009, 2008, 2009, around there. Uh, so it's been over 10 years. We're getting and old, I'm, you know. Yeah, I know. Uh, you don't need to bring it up, but okay. Uh, as a developer, I'm not used to failing or to shipping garbage. Um. I generally have some level of confidence in what it is I'm shipping, whether it's something I made when I was self-employed or when I'm working for a client. Like, there's a baseline of quality, and I know that it more or less responds to the user's need. There might be some arguing about implementation details or about little tweaks that need to be made to make the experience better. But for the most part, like, I don't ship crap. And when projects failed when I was self-employed, it was rarely because my code itself was bad or that the application didn't do what it was supposed to do. It was more so because of business-related or market-related reasons that were more or less because my personal skill set lies in writing code and not in marketing my business as a self-employed person. And that's kind of why I got out of it. It's like too much of my business was dependent on these aspects of that are not part of my skill set for the most part. So yeah, when I ship an app or a feature, it does what it's supposed to do with a certain level of reliability, and I'm proud of that as a developer. And I think I mentioned this on a previous episode, and you laughed at me because it sounds super cliche and stupid, but it's kind of written on my website that I am in software development because I enjoy making my users' everyday lives easier. And like this is where you do the, ah, the, the <laughs> cliche bullshit. Uh, that, I understand why you say cliche bullshit, but you know, like... When I have a customer interviews at work, you know, this is fun when they say, hey, this work. And it is cringy when they're like, I, some, I don't like this or this is broken. And you, you feel their pain. So, no, no, I understand, the, I understand why some people use it as a cliche. But there is some proudness that is built regarding that, too. Yes. And if we rewind to my old job at the insurance company, like, that was not a particularly interesting domain to be working in. Uh, it was 
really more when I was working on the internal tools that the people in the office were using. And I was building features that saved them a bunch of time every day. And I saw them being happy because their job was meaningfully improved. Like that was some of the most rewarding shit in that job. Like it didn't matter that the actual like domain knowledge I was accruing was like, I don't care about car insurance, but like it it was really cool to see people that I knew and that I interacted with on a regular basis were having their lives meaningfully improved by something that I did. And when we launched this piece of shit into production, I definitely did not feel like anyone's everyday life got easier. In fact, to this day, I continue to think that launching this project made everyone's everyday life more complicated and worse. Um, so as we had foreseen, almost every bit of math in the application had something wrong with it, ranging from minor to significant issues. Um, every day until May 15th, maybe, I would check my inbox and I would have three to six emails of this doesn't add up. And what this doesn't add up means to me is half a day or so to debug if it's a real bug or if it's a bug submission that is based on the bad assumptions that they had been applying the rules by for years. Um, and the reason for that is because there is this massively complex, stupid flowchart for each employee that I need to work through to figure out exactly what the fuck is going on with this employee. And I need to figure out what part of the flowchart is wrong, if at all. And then I need to explain it to that person who is reporting the bug. And then I need to figure out that if they're if they understand it properly or if they understand it with their false assumptions. And it's just you lose so much time communicating a lot of complicated bullshit and debugging a lot of complicated bullshit. And I just had these massive stacks of emails that I had to like handle every single day. And I effectively did almost no new development work for a couple months. I was just handling these requests. Um, it feels not like... <laughs> I, I've talked a lot recently about AAA video games that end in spectacular failure. I relate a lot to these people because this has been very <laughs> similar to my experience. Um, maybe not so much the cyberpunk people, although I, I guess it's kind of similar. Like, I don't think the people who work at CD Projekt Red wanted to ship a crappy game, but they kind of did because someone made them release it. And that's kind of my experience as well. I think Final Fantasy XIV is another good comparison where uh, Final Fantasy XIV uh, was released and it was basically the most terrible MMO ever released, which is kind of baffling. And it was going to ruin Square financially. And uh, Yoshi P, which is currently the lead for Final Fantasy XIV, uh, who was the leader of another Square MMO at the time, more or less went to the boss and was like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to improve the current game and behind the scenes, while no one knows, we're also going to completely redo the game. And then we're going to have a cataclysmic event in the 1.0 version of the game that is going to destroy everything. And then there's going to be a trailer at the end of that cataclysmic event that destroys everything that announces the 2.0 version of the game <laughs> that is going to release like nine months later. Wow. And That's so genius. There's an entire documentary about this. Yoshi P is honestly like project manager goals uh because he he's insane and he's actually in charge of final fantasy 16 now as well which is uh, i'm very curious to see how that turns out and the thing is final fantasy 14 2.0 one of the best mmos of all time 
So that is like the the best case like rebirth story. Um, but I've been thinking about like all of these like disastrous video game launch stories, and I'm like, oh, I'm in one of those. Which one of these games am I going to be? Uh, am I going to turn out to be in a couple of years? I don't know. So yeah, I was having all these emails and having to patch all this shit, and patching all of these issues put me in a downward spiral because the client is pissed at me. Because nothing is working as they hoped for. And I'm the guy who wrote the code that did the bad thing, right? And I'm pissed at the client because it's their fault because they couldn't even tell us what the right thing was until it was in production. All of this rage and frustration from the client is targeted at me because, like, I'm the guy who wrote the code. But I know that behind the scenes, the dev team was were the only people who were taking this shit seriously. We had to micromanage everyone on top of us. To get any shit done. Uh, Like, we were the de facto project managers uh, because nobody else was taking responsibility for anything. And ultimately, I'm ashamed of this trash that we released. And it felt like every day I was going into work and then the client was just doing nothing but rubbing my nose in it every fucking day. And all I want to do in life is forget that this shit exists. And you have to note that I'm also fucking sick of this project at this point. Like in 2018, I spent five out of 12 months of the year working on this project full time. In 2019, I spent seven months out of 12 working on this project full time. In 2020, I spent 10 out of 12 months working on this project full time. And the two months that I spent working on this project part time were the months that, funnily enough, the HR department was in vacation. So I probably would have worked on it all goddamn year if they, that hadn't happened. And on top of that, like, I know this project pretty well. I know that it's an infinite time sink. There is a massive backlog of tasks that I need to get to eventually. But of course, like my boss also wants me to work on other projects. So the backlog keeps growing. So much more in this entire system could theoretically be automated. In fact, I wish more of it would be automated so the less humans were involved in the process so that they would stop doing things wrong. The client wants us to tack on more auxiliary systems to this shit to make it even more complicated. Uh, I did tack on two extra systems to this uh, throughout the year of 2020 because they needed it rush. Um, and here's the best part. The project has an expiration date because in 2025, they sign a new agreement so that everything can change. So that's going to be fun. So that is the summary of what I've been doing in 2020 and why my life has been shit in 2020. Like, actually, COVID-19, not that big of a deal for me in terms of mental stability. Like, all I want in life is to be alone by myself in my apartment and not have social responsibilities. And I think I nailed that pretty well in 2020. (laughs) My goodness. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like... It, it was pretty good. Like, I miss having the option to do things outside, but, like, let's be honest, I probably wasn't. Um, Come on, you, you miss seeing me sometimes. I, I miss seeing you. I miss Aww. riding the bus, which is stupid because the bus sucks. Uh, <laughs> I miss going to Japan. But, like, aside from that, like, I don't miss much about the outside world um, because I'm kind of just the kind of person who wants to stay in their apartment and not leave. Um But this is what has been causing me anguish for all of goddamn 2020. And I hope it it has demystified, like, why I'm so cranky all the time. Now, this is where I bring in the good news, is that so far 2021 has not been as painful. And most of the bugs that we have had uh, happened in the initial year of this project. 
And yes, there are additional bugs that are coming up because they keep asking us to add more bullshit to the system. And that means more complicated interactions that are not tested. Um, and yeah, but like that continues, but there is much less of it. Like a lot less of my time is spent. I, I spend maybe two days a week working on this project now. Uh, and this is while the, the highest peak of activity in the project uh happens is this project is only live from like february to well the main flow of this project anyway is only live for three months uh from february to may so right now is the peak of usage and i only have to deal with the shit like two days a week which is not particularly bad uh it's definitely much better than it was last year but it's still like when we were coming up to february 1st i was just like zero motivation to wake up in the morning at all because i i was not sure if it was going to be a repeat of last year and it was going to be pain for three months straight um and at the same time like i i i kind of want to expect pain for six months because if i don't expect it then the second it takes it is just gonna knock me on my ass and it's not gonna be good um so i i prepare for the worst case and i am pleasantly surprised to only be pissed off two days a week uh, so did you have anything you wanted to add on the topic? Um, yes, but I'm not it. sure if I should go there. So I guess take a sip. Um, I am already, but y y just say whatever you would say to me in any normal conversation. And I don't care. about. No, the no, I, know, I, know. I, I don't think it's, it's, a, it's about the topic itself or what happened, but more about today's episode. Um, I hope you kind of slowly but surely kind of realize that what you're doing is <coughs> a sprint retrospective. <coughs> uh, so I don't want to... Sorry, I don't believe in Agile. But <laughs> but, but, a sprint that lasted a year and a half, yeah? No, no but again, <laughs> that's why I kind of don't want to go there because I know we'll, we'll troll a bit about like Agile and stuff. But again, I think there's values to that, uh, mainly on the fact that it's important to reflect on what happened bad. It's also important to what to to reflect on what happened that was good, and I'm not the best at doing this. I am overall two. I think you are two, and I guess that's why we get along together well. But I'm more of a negative person in life than I should be. Uh, but I think it's good to see the things that work well. And I think you mentioned a couple of things, like you took a bet on some of like on some places to do unit tests, which luckily paid off. But again, uh, you've learned from that too, because I think it was one of your big experience building uh, a unit test suite, if I recall correctly. Yeah. Right. So well, we have we have like unit tests, like proper unit tests, and we have more or less like what you consider uh, integration tests, mm -hmm. which tests like what the user interactions would actually amount to. Right. But I recall when you were building it at that time that you were telling me like, oh, like it's more or less my first time doing that type, that level of, even if I call unit tests, but more or less CI that they run at some point. And uh, we don't have CI, but it, it it's like, it's the second time I've done any kind of testing in a professional mm -hmm. capacity. And it is the most complex system I have tested because previously we used to just test like PDF printing, which is mm. like you pass in values and you check that the values are printed in the final PDF that was rendered. It's like, woo, complicated. Um, but like this actually tests something much more complicated than that. Um, and for that, it's been a tremendous success. But again, like I knew enough about testing that I knew that 
FRP and Redux was a good fit for uh, how I wanted to test these things. And I also knew that it would be much, much simpler to do an FRP UI for a project this complex than it would be to do it all the old-fashioned way. So, like, all of those technical decisions were made because they were, like, symbiotic. Like, right. I want testing, I want FRP because it's going to make my life easier. These two things are complementary. Like, good shit, I'm in. Uh, so, it's like, I don't recommend it as, an, as a one-size-fits-all. Like, we were talking about this on Twitter this week, uh, a couple of web dev friends of ours. And uh, I, I was just saying, like, you can't view FRP as this one-size-fits-all thing. And I think, like a lot of people like any kind of technology they get carried away and they think this is the new swiss army knife for everything like no there is a place where these tools are immensely useful and it's precisely this project like this is exactly where it excels and i would never want to do a project like this without an frp framework mm -hmm. but i also think if you're working on a goddamn blog like you can use static html web pages and you don't need to use react like it's, <laughs> it's overkill right so this is all good. That kind of went on this tangent that uh, I was not going willing to go there, but that's totally fine. My point is, in those experiences, I think it's also good to reflect on the good things that happens and also to force yourself to think about those. And again, if you end up with a, a more understanding of FRP using web technologies and also how you can unit test such a code base, I think is a plus that you should always say, hey, that sucked, but at least I got this good out of it. Um, I guess the the point I would make about this, uh, and again, like what you're saying is true, and what I'm going to say is going to sound like I am downplaying that. Of course but, you are. Of course you are. <laughs> of course I am. Um, but like the point I'm trying to make is, all of that development happened within the first four months of the project. Like it was very short, mm -hmm. and then afterwards, the rest of it was just basically trying to communicate with the client to understand what the thing is and like this entire project it, it's incredibly complicated from like from an understanding what it is i have to build perspective but in terms of the complexity of the actual code we are writing like it is not complicated code it is just doing complicated things mm -hmm. and that's why like the first four months of this project were fun because we were doing this fun new thing and we were experimenting with the technology and it was ultimately easier to develop because the rules that we were implementing in this framework were the clearest things in the entire document that we had to implement. The rest of it was a complete slog. And because of this time proportion, like four months is less than the five months I worked in 2018 on this project. Therefore, it seems minuscule compared to the amount of time that we spent basically with this brick wall of communication that represents all of the pain we've had in this project, which is why it feels like I'm downplaying it. But like, yes, there was good, but there was a lot of bad too. <laughs> yes. And again, I'm not saying I am the perfect person at this and that's why it's also difficult. And that's why I bring it up. I bring it up saying, hey, I struggle with this, but... I've been told a lot of times, and when you reflect on it, that even if there's a lot, if there's a sea of negativity, there's always a couple of like lost islands of good things you can learn, and it's important to focus on those. Because again, to go back to, I was listening to you, I was like, yeah, that to me, that sounds like a retrospective we would do about the project that went wrong, right? Or postmortem, whatever you want. Which it's word? Still in want. production. People are using it right now. Yes. 
but again uh i think it's fair for me to say it this way like the the job you have is still like client based you're not building a product and you're like maintaining a product like i do again i'll make some general generalizations uh just for the sake of saying this exact problem even if this first phase was a catastrophe you your boss and your boss's boss like you might still keep the contract so you'll still be on that project if you decide to stay for the years to come right like this product yeah. might stay might just become a recurring contract for your business so there's an opportunity for I, you i think to- that's what we're banking on <laughs> unfortunately right because it is a lucrative for my again tell me if i'm about to leak thing important things but you're like you work on a small place that has a contract yes. with a big place so yes. lots of money that can come in with those actually like this isn't even like secret so i can say it during those union disputes there was a possibility that the factory was going to close down and for my mental health i kind of wanted the factory to close down because i didn't want to continue on this project however the fact that this factory did not close down means that our company probably still exists today because if it had closed down like one of our major income sources and especially once covid hit and other contracts started tightening their wallets and everything like this is responsible for a lot of income right now and yeah it's like it's a good thing for the company that this project stuck around so now we're at a stage where there's two things you need to think about first and we can do a quick tangent about this and you don't need to have an answer for this but do you want to be there when this contract renews is a valid question as dev you know like a lot of people like you are stuck in shitty projects and this is the main reason why people change job especially mm-hmm. in our market i know you can say you're in a smaller town that there might be less stuff but you can work remote with covid even more than before and you can find another thing that is in web development that can do a little bit more frp if you want like not by snapping your fingers but nearly yeah, it's trendy right now, so it would definitely not be as hard as it used to be. Right. So there's that question. And again, I don't want you to answer that. It's more of a reflection point. But let's assume you decide, you know what? I like the colleagues I worked with. I know if I, even if you lost some, like at least I get along with my boss. Like that part is still good enough that I want to stay. So what should we do to prepare ourselves for the exact same bullshit that will happen? so that we don't make the exact same mistakes. That's the latter part of the retrospective that is important to not downplay here. Uh, And again, I don't know if you have answers today, but for sure it is going to be important because as you mentioned, it it was pretty emotional in the end, that failure for you. And Mm -hmm. you don't want to relive this trauma. And also you need to think about the fact that you might like, you certainly did some mistakes that might have not helped the situation. And next time you, you want to be, if you want to be better of yourself and improve in your career, you want to make sure that you also improve on those. You might not do as good as you could have done, but at least doing better than what you've did could have a, a, a possible positive outcome when that same situation comes back. Right. I honestly think and. You can call me out and tell me I'm full of shit if you want to. I don't care. Of course you are. (laughs) I honestly think that we as the development team did everything we humanly could to actually get things moving. Short of like 
quitting our jobs. Like that, that is where we were left. Like we did everything we could. If the people up from you don't want to cooperate, what else can you do? Like we were literally micromanaging everyone in this goddamn project. We were telling people like your prerequisites aren't ready because no one else was keeping track of this shit. Like, we had like the the giant whiteboard with all of the pieces of string and the little <laughs> notes and everything like we're the only ones who know how it works and we did everything in our human powers to actually do it if the other players are not willing to play ball like there's only so much we can do true the thing that pisses me off the most in all of this is ultimately that the client has no visibility into all of this like they see us as the developers and they're like, well, you wrote the code that's wrong, so you're the ones to blame for it. When in reality, they don't see all of this effort that we've been doing, that we would go to our boss's desk every single day and try to follow up on XYZ issues and nothing was moving. And I'm like, well, what the fuck else am I supposed to do at this point? And like, when we had that disastrous meeting in November of 2019... That was kind of when we stopped giving a fuck. Not really like we, we were still working very hard to try and ensure the project. But at the same time, we were like, it doesn't really matter how hard we work on this. Th that was when it became clear to us that it doesn't actually matter how hard we work on this. This will never launch as a success because A, there isn't enough time left and B, no one wants to play ball our way. Right. It's like trying to row in the wrong direction. At some point, the wave will still hit you and you'll still be going the direction that the modern nature decides you to go. Yeah. So I think, like, I, I know that I, I have this, like, character trait that I come off as this, like, self-aggrandizing asshole who is really <laughs> proud of all the things he does sometimes. Sometimes? Sometimes. <laughs> but, like, I am very self-critical. It doesn't show, but I am very self-critical. And I think that there are code failures that we did. And like, I, I, this is weird, but like when I recognize I fucked something up in the code and it is my mistake, I will write personally to the, to the client and say, I'm sorry, this is my fault. I completely apologize, whatever, because that is how I am with clients. I think if there is this air of honesty where I am transparent about my own failures and you are transparent about your failures. We can trust each other and all that stuff. But like some people would think, oh, well, I just want to protect my ass and mm -hmm. I'm not going to be transparent about mm -hmm. this. Yep. But like, that's not how it works. <laughs> okay. Now we're going to pessimism territory. So there's that again. And Maybe to continue the kind of self-reflection of what could we have done better and what should we do next time to maybe try something new. And you know what? At least my, my point is to say, like, even if you say, like, hey, we've done, we think we've done something great. Like, maybe next time, like, try something that you think is not a good idea. And you know what? Maybe that's a different outcome. Maybe they have this exact same outcome. But at least you'll say, okay, we were sure we were right about this. That doesn't work. We were not sure about that. You know what? That also didn't work. Or you know what? Maybe that worked in the end. Uh, because again, uh, you mentioned a lot of like communication issues, maybe trying to solve them. Even maybe you will never solve them. And like this client will be like, 
you're the expert in the computer thing that makes the computer work. Figure it out. It's your job. That's why we pay you the big box. And you know what? That sucks. And again, maybe I'm trying to find the the right words, but the the problem we have with that is like it's okay you can say yeah you're the person who we pay to do computer stuff the the computer related stuff in this project is solid like that's not the problem the problem is we don't understand your fucking system and you don't either that's why we can't develop it because you can't communicate to us adequately what the fuck you want right that's not a computer problem that's a True. communication problem but again again that's maybe also why you paired the big box is you as a consultancy firm, uh, even if it's a small place, sh- should possibly be able to say, A, we will work with a customer that they don't know what they want, right? And you'll have to sit through the, the crap, sit through them and try to all their end into the same direction. And I'm not saying it's easy. Like, I'm not trying to say like, A, like, go do that because it's easy. And that's why I'm not, pushing for too much solution i'm just like trying to make you like do the second feedback loop or the second like the feedback loop excuse me not the second one but the feedback loop saying like what could we do to at least like not just like cross arms the next time because we know it's going to be the exact same shit at least we've learned from some of those things and possibly we can do better sadly if you can do better maybe that's time you like hey okay i'm looking at my watch I've done everything I could to be here. If you cannot improve my uh, work, our morning, bye-bye, I'm out. Uh, and that's why uh, there's a lot of jobs for people like us. Uh, and yeah. I'm sure you'll be able to find some different shade of green grass somewhere else because the grass is never green at another place. It's just different. Yeah. And I think I think overall, in the end, if you feel that you're not able to even self, not I, when I say self-reflect, like your peers, your company, your bosses are not able to self-reflect for this, it does also say something about you, right? Or about the. I, I, I'm just talking about like the developers. I, I, I of course, yes, have other comments that I'm not going to say about the rest of our corp- of our company and how things could have been handled better, but that's not on me like i can offer these suggestions but if the people are not willing to listen to the suggestions i've done what i can agreed and the, the that's where the art part starts yes because and you need I to also stop have caring about snap them. back about the client as well except i am not at liberty to share unfortunately right but the, um, the important point though at that moment is and let me tell you still a constant struggle is stop caring you need yeah. to start every time say, okay, I guess let's say it's your fault, it's your boss problem. So okay, it's my boss problem. It's my boss problem. I shouldn't care about this. And you really, yeah. And for I know, like we're both passionate in the the, the things we love and the th- and we do. You know what? We love building products uh, and solutions, as you mentioned in the intro. And this is hard. So. It kind of comes down to maybe you shouldn't move to a new place. I'm sorry. I don't want to always come there because I want to make sure that you possibly find a place. But the idea is if you realize that, that's hard for you to continue to cultivate. Like, maybe it's time to go. Or hopefully, you now have possible ideas to try to find a way to continue cultivating that. 
But again, if you feel your hands are tied, it's pretty clear from this episode that you need this is the fuel you need to continue in your professional career. And if that's not there, it, you will just like like kill your career literally because you'll be mm. a unmotivated mess, and that's not what you want either. Yeah, and honestly, like the my sh- short term goal is trying to get literally literally anyone else who is a programmer in our company to understand even like 15% of this project mm-hmm. because right now, like I, I have thought a lot of, about this during uh, COVID is if one of us gets COVID, if one of us gets run over by a bus, if I get run over by a bus, this project goes to shit because I am the only one who knows how it works. Trust me. I know I get the emails from everybody. Mm-hmm. I have to tell them how it works all the goddamn time. Right. Uh, and if, like I was told at some point you're going to have to write a technical manual for this thing. And I'm not sure how you write a technical manual for a system that continues to change every couple of days <laughs> um, where all the systems are interrelated in stupidly complex ways. Um, I would like to write that manual. I don't have the time to write that manual. Uh, I would like to train someone else to be able to take over uh, even just 50% of the work sometimes. I don't mm-hmm. know. Uh, but like, you got to find the time. And right now I am on uh, other projects and it's like, Ugh. so yeah, yeah. Well, I'm working towards that in the short term. That That's a good, I think from the situation you described, I think it is a, sh- a good short term goal because like you being the mayor only developer stuck on that project is no good, neither for the project, no good for you, nor for the company you work with. I'm going to say this to close out the episode because it's it kind of summarizes the entire year of 2020. One of the reasons I hate this project is that, as I mentioned, it starts in February. Do you know what month I go to Japan in usually? In March. In February. Oh, I thought it was in March usually. Well, February to March usually. Like right. The end of February. I usually go for the, like, the last two weeks of February. At true, minimum. true. And the thing I realized very quickly is shit if i'm the only developer left on this project i can never go back to japan in february ever again right and i mean unfortunately i don't know when that's going to be possible anyway so it's like okay sure um but yeah i i would like to get someone on this project other than me before i can go back to japan in february hopefully right and you know what like even if we say Sorry, I'll be a bit dramatic and over-exaggerating a bit. Uh, but even if we say like, hey, the next time I can go is in three, four, five years, like 2025, I know it's far. Like, we don't really know at this point. But even setting a goal far is better than having no goals where it's like, yeah, I cannot go anymore because of my work, which that is totally like motiv- demotivator. Like, it will kill the motivation and that should be resolved. Mm-hmm. Uh and again, it's good that maybe like you're willing to put the short-term energy to try to solve it. Some people, and it could be you for this time, they're just like, I'm out of here. I've done enough. And that's totally fine. There's a moment where we all go this and like, this is enough. Either we make it or I break it. And this is more too much on my line of breaking it. So bye-bye. Uh, and I think 
I don't want to go there, and then, but I've said that literally five times in the last five minutes, so I'm I've sorry. Noticed, yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was kind of trying to say, like, you know, there's maybe things that you can improve on, and blah, 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 but again, when you're and tired, I, you're tired. I, I know you're going to talk me down from this stance, but, like, to a certain degree, I, f- I would feel tremendously bad if I did that, because I know I'm the only person who knows how this shit works, and I would probably ruin the company financially if I did that. You can say that's not my problem, and like I respect that, but like I, I personally would not be able to do that. And this is where you say, well, then they're going to keep pushing until they find your breaking point, and maybe you're true. Uh, maybe you're right, but right, right. I, I can see both angles, but like from a moral perspective, I can't allow myself to do that. Right then hopefully uh in the short to medium term maybe you bring it back to a station where you feel more comfortable to say like you know what i've done my best and i moved along or by realizing that removing some of those burden on your shoulder by lowering your bus factor you might realize you know what like it's good here like when i'm not the only one doing this shit like when people are taking the the pressure off of my shoulders and they can insert those emails like hey life is good i can work to other projects yeah it's like for the past month or so well not the past month or so the past couple weeks i've been working on other projects and it's like oh yeah i remember what this is like it's kind of fun but like the thing is like for the last year, 10 out of 12 months have been this hellhole that I've been stuck in. And it's like, oh, okay, I hope this isn't my job from now on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's finding that balance and trying to spread out the the darkness across everyone instead of limiting it all to me. Good. Hey, you know what? I think we can end on this. I was it was yep, glad that sounds good. it was glad for me to be participate in this project retrospective with you or postmortem, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Special thanks to our sponsor, Bombay Sapphire Gin, uh, for uh, providing mental support throughout the last year of uh, development. Well, but what? But we don't promote drinking. Let's not just say that. Drink responsibly. Yes, thank you. That's that's what I said. There, there was a guy outside. I went to go to the liquor store at noon to go buy some gin for tonight, and there was a there was a someone very drunk outside the liquor store, and uh, he wanted me to take a photo of him with his Jack Daniel's mask and his Jack Daniel's bottle in front of the liquor store. Oof. And I was just like too overwhelmed to process <laughs> anything he was saying, and I was just like, drink responsibly, and I went in. <laughs> really wow i think that's the episode title (laughs) it should be the episode title yes okay so again i don't expect too much uh show notes for today but if there's some i have literally nothing okay so if i I, i'll have my follow-up link so if you want to read more about the sadness that is the mercedes-benz eqc not being in north america you can find a link in the show notes about this at limitlesspossibility.net slash 155, so 155. If you want to go through our back catalog episode, you can find it at limitlesspossibility.net. If you want to know the latest news about the podcast or get some reminders to make sure that you play Zelda before we talk about it in late April, you can find the uh, podcast on Twitter at limipo underscore podcast. That's L-I-M-I-P-O underscore podcast podcast you can find myself on twitter at lucanosh that's l-u-c-c-o-n-o-u-c-h-e and you can find yannick at sakarina s-a-k-u-r-i-n-a and we'll see you in two weeks
See you in two weeks.